Can I get an amen? amen? So that just saved me a lot of embarrassment because <laughs> I did not want to try to brutally pronounce those names in Genesis 10, even though they are all very important. I was looking at some of the most popular baby names in 2020, and I promise you our fact shad is not on the top of the list. So uh, anyway, pretty interesting. Genesis 10, uh, you know, if you're like me, when I was just really scriptures and trying to uh, read the Bible and try to get to know the Bible and try to read the Word of God and dedicate myself to the Word of God, uh, chapters like Genesis 10 were usually the ones that I would what? Let's just skip over that. It's just a bunch of names. I don't really know how it applies to me. Uh, I can't even pronounce them to begin with, so what good does it do? You know, let me get into John 3 or something like that, right? Something that I can really hold on to and put into practice. But you're going to be amazed today to see that Genesis 10, which is the table of nations, is so relevant. Now, listen, it's not just relevant to our our responsibility and our privileges as Christians, as, re as representatives of Jesus Christ on the earth in 2020, you would be surprised to know that the table of nations actually gives us the context and the foundation of the mission of the church. The great commission of Jesus Christ is directly connected to Genesis 10. We're going to see that this morning, but also simply because of all of the the hostility and what seems to be the racial division and things like that that's taking place in our nation today. Genesis 10 is very appropriate for our day and our time, as you're going to see here in just a minute, because if you're going to understand what the Bible says about race, it starts right here in Genesis 10. And it's, it's very fascinating to me how God's timing is perfect, because if we've ever needed to hear a message right now today about race and what does the Bible really say about quote unquote race, this is the passage that we're going to dig into today and I'm so very excited about doing that. So the title of my message today is One Race, One Blood. Genesis 10, this is the table of nations, one race, one blood. I'm going to share some very, very valuable fundamental truths with you this morning. So the first thing that I want to show you from this passage of Scripture, and you say, what in the world are we going to be able to get out of all these names? You would be very surprised. Look at what it says in Genesis 10.1. It says, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. And then skip all the way down to the last verse. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations and from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Here's the first thing you need to know. The table of nations, which is what we find here in Genesis 10, reminds us that there is only one race, the human race, and there is only one blood. Last time I checked, if anybody in this room cuts themselves, we're all going to bleed the same what? Color. We all are going to bleed Red. So there is one race, the human race, there is one blood, and we're going to see how that is so very important. As I said before, if you ever needed to hear a biblical response to the racial turmoil in our nation, it is today. It is right now in the midst of everything that's going on in our culture. Now, the entire narrative that we are, that we are I hate to say it this way, and I'll, I'll just back up and put it to you this way. It's amazing to me how many times we're going to take the bait in our country. Now, let's, let's back up to March and April. 
and we're hearing this stuff on, you're walking through Kroger, and of course they're putting verbal announcements through Kroger. You're driving on interstate, and you look up at the, you know, the, the, the signs they have now, you know, stay safe. But what was the one mantra that we were all being fed during COVID-19? We're all in this together, right? And it seems like during COVID-19, especially when it first began, it was like, I don't care if you're black, white, rich, poor, male, female, don't matter where you come from, whatever, this is, some, this is some serious stuff. We need to pay attention to what's going on. We don't want anybody to get sick. We need to band together, stick together. We need to beat this thing united, stick together. We're all in this thing together. It's amazing how just like that everything changed. Just one very terrible optical news story about some terrible police work up in Minneapolis, and then all of a sudden the whole nation, just like that, is what? Divided. And I'm, and I'm sitting back, and I'm looking at all of this, and I'm saying, guys, don't take the bait. Don't you see who's driving the narrative? Don't you see? This is not us. This is not America. Okay, we, as the United States of America, I really feel like we have reached so much healing. We have come so far as a country, and it just seems like when we take the bait in these kind of situations, it just sets us back a whole nother 50 years. Because we allow what we see and the emotion and all that kind of stuff, we get so caught up in it, up in it here in the United States of America. And some of those old wounds start to resurface. And I understand, I understand the dynamics of, of socio-America. Uh, I understand the dynamics of political, geopolitical America. I know what this nation has been through. But I'm going to tell you something, guys. We take the bait so many times, and it's not what we're supposed to do. Because when we look at this from a biblical perspective, there's only one race. Amen. It's the human race. There's only one blood. And it seems like we get played every single time when this manufactured crisis... Now look, I'm not saying these things aren't real. I'm not saying people aren't wrestling with these things emotionally. But let's just step back for just a second and let's see who are the ones driving this manufactured racial division in the United States of America. Number one, it's the mainstream Media. They want us to remain divided. It's good for their numbers. Amen. It's, it's m more money in their pockets as long as there's conflict and division and chaos and confusion. They love that kind of stuff. I know you may, you may sit back and say, how could they really want this to happen? They want this to happen. It's good for them. They're the primary ones driving it. Then here's what makes me even more sick. The Hollywood elites. Let me just say something for a minute. Who cares what anybody in Hollywood has to say? They do not live in reality. Do not listen to an actor who, live, who makes millions of dollars and rides around on private jets with all this security. They do not live. They live in a bubble, and they want to tell you and me how to live our lives and what we're supposed to do and shame us because of the lives that we've chosen to live. Who cares what a Hollywood actor? They, they mean nothing. We don't look to them for moral support or advice or wisdom or anything like that. Entertainers, athletes, all these people. We don't look to those people. We should not look to those people. And again, the corrupt politicians, unfortunately, are also the ones who are stirring the narrative, keeping the, the division alive because it's beneficial to them. Guys, don't you see? And we take the bait every single time. Amen. And sometimes we just need to sit back and step back and say, wait a minute. We don't have to listen to this anymore. We don't have to do what they're trying to get us to do anymore. That's not us. We're, we're beyond that. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be far beyond that. 
But that's where we are right now in our country. So they don't have the means or the motivation to bring any type of reconciliation or healing in this land. Let me tell you that again. The mainstream media, the Hollywood elites, the corrupt politicians, listen, even if they could do something to bring social justice or reconciliation in the land, they wouldn't want to because it doesn't benefit them. So what I'm trying to propose to you this morning is this. There's only one person who has the answer to bring healing and unity and reconciliation in our country, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the great unifier. And that's where we've got to get our focus back. Get your focus off all these other people. Get our focus back on Jesus Christ because the Bible is clear that we all come from one race. Every single person alive on the face of the planet right here came from Noah and one of his three sons. That means we're all what? We're all family. We're all related. Some of us have a little darker skin tone, some different physical features. Some of us have more melanin in our skin than other people. All those little things that we use to divide ourselves, that has this all superficial stuff. At the end of the day, guys, there's one race, there's one blood, and this is why we must refocus on the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the only way we will ever find healing and unity and reconciliation again. Now, I think all of us agree that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did a fantastic job in the, during the Civil Rights Movement because the reason we commend Dr. King is because he did it the right way and he said the right things and I think he, he approached the, the racial division and the, and the injustice that was in our nation at that time. He did approach those things in the right way and so we commend him. But here's the thing that I want to show you is that on that famous day on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, which, by the way, is wanting to be torn down now by these anarchists who want to tear the Lincoln Memorial down when he was the one who began moving the Emancipation Proclamation to free the slaves in the United States of America. He was one of the heroes of the Civil Rights Movement. But Dr. King, pre preaching in, in, uh, in his message on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, what did he say? He said, I have a dream that one day my children will not be what? Judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. But every time we elevate skin color above character, we trample the words of Dr. King. We, we go back and regress before the civil rights movement because he, he brought us that far to say, listen, guys, we're trying to bring unity to judge people, to look at human beings in their eyes and say, you're a created image in the image of God and you're to be loved and dignified and cherished and your value is of worth not because of the color of your skin but by the content of your character because this is who we are on the what? Inside. Not on who, how to judge and prejudge people on what they look like, on the outside, and yet every time we elevate a racial color or a skin color above the content of someone's character, we trample those words under our feet, and we set ourselves back. Guys, that's what we've got to be careful about. There's one race. There's one blood. And I'm going to ask you, are we really evaluating people today? Not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Those words ring true. Now, a little side note, because we know that next week we're going to look at the Tower of Babel, and the Tower of Babel 
is really the details, the, the, the up close and personal what happened here to spread the nations out, to, to spread the different people groups out over the face of the earth because there was a division of their languages. And if you noticed in Genesis 10, there was an emphasis on languages. So people groups started to settle with one another because they could understand each other because they were confused in their languages and they had to regroup with the people that they could communicate with, obviously. And, and here's a very little simple side note I want to show you. There are linguists today that are going back and looking. Do you know how many different dialects there are on the face of the earth? Last time I checked, there are over 7,000 different dialects. Not languages per se, but languages within languages, different dialects. But as they study these different 7,000 languages, do you know that they have gotten it down? Now, they've reduced these 7,000 languages down to family groups. In other words, if you speak a different dialect, it's connected to a group, and you can reduce them down to an origin, a point of origin in these groups. Did you know right now that of the 7,000 languages on the earth, they've reduced it down to less than 100 family languages. My guess is, as they do a little bit more study, they're going to eventually narrow it down to the number 70. And the reason why 70 is important, because do you know how many original nations there were from the table of nations? 70. Keep that number in mind. 70 is very important. But there were 70 original nations that came from these people groups, from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, from Noah, and as they spread out, they began to speak their different languages. And it's amazing when you start to study how human language developed, we see that there's less than 100 original languages that have eventually led to all of the different dialects on the earth. But either way, what we need to see is that the substance of who we are, the substance of who we are as human beings, is that we are image bearers of God. And the only thing that provides the truth of who we are as a human race is that the Bible tells us that every human being is created in the image of God. Every human life is precious in the sight of God. Every human being is endowed with inherent worth and eternal value from God. And so we are fully deserving of dignity, love, and respect of our fellow man because that's what the Bible teaches us. Now here's the second thing you need to understand. Only the Bible provides the true history of the human race and provides a legitimate explanation for the origin of both nations and languages. Now, I want to point out something to you. The Bible does not talk about races. The Bible talks about nations. The Bible does not divide people up into race. The Bible makes divisions with languages and nations. Very, very important. There, race is not a biblical concept. Again, there is one race, the human race. Flip over to Acts chapter 17 with me real quick. Let me just show you something that Paul said. In Acts chapter 17, Paul builds on this case a little bit. This is what he says in verse 24. Man, I got hot up in here. Got going. Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now look at what he says in verse 28. And he made from one man every nation 
of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined and allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So the origin of the nations came from God. The boundaries of the nations, the original boundaries that the nations began to settle in, they came from God. God allotted the boundaries. He allotted the nations. He allotted the people groups in their languages that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Now let's talk real quick about the alternative perspective of the origin of the human race. We have a biblical perspective. There is an alternative perspective, and it is naturalistic evolution. Now, we're going we're to take a minute to see which one best accurately gives us the true history of the human race and the, and the development of the nations and the languages. So let's just break that down for just a second. What's interesting is if you ask an evolutionist or a naturalist, somebody who rejects the word of God, somebody who rejects the, the biblical account of history, and they, they, they've uh, bought into a purely evolutionary account of, of the world and of history, they all will give you different types of answers when it comes to how we got the different nations and the languages on the face of the earth. They all kind of have all these different models. Most of their scenarios are, are in disagreement with each other because here's the, here's the reality. Guess what? They don't know. They don't know. So they have to guess and they have to run these models and try to do all these statistics and backtrack. Because listen to me, they all have this starting point and their starting point doesn't start with man being created special and unique in the image of God. It has man evolving from an ape. So when they go back to their starting point, evolution always starts with apes. So we're not made in the image of God, we're made in the image of an ape, according to evolutionary teaching and philosophy. Now let's think about this for a second. Charles Darwin, who is the hero of evolution, he's the father of evolution, Charles Darwin, you ought to know that name. He taught the concept of natural selection, and listen, and favored races. Didn't know that, did you? As a matter of fact, let's just think about Darwin's most famous book. Anybody know what the title of Darwin's famous book is? On the Origin of Species. And most people think that's it. Uh -huh. Guess what? There's a lot more to the title of his book. Let me read it to you. On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored races in the struggle for life. Now, Charles Darwin is being taught right now in every public school system around this country, and he is heralded as a hero of science and, and the, the, the father of modern evolution. And, man, he is just elevated in our textbooks, in our history books. And there's statues of Charles Darwin all around the place for all the, the contributions that he's made to our culture and our society, which really is zero. But we'll get into that here in just a minute. But Charles Darwin's book inherently proposes racism. Evolution fundamentally is a racist religion. It's a racist ideology. It's a racist philosophy. And let me tell you why. Because when you look at evolution, again, they start 200,000 years ago and say that man eventually evolved from a what? From an ape. Okay? So let's stick with that for a second. Well, if you read Darwin's work about the favored races, 
Guess what Darwin taught? He said that the, ra the dark-skinned races, like Africans, and the Aborigines in Australia, and Papua New Guinea, and the Indonesians, and the dark-skinned Native Americans, and the dark-skinned races were less evolved and therefore intellectually inferior to the what? The light-skinned races. You ever been taught that in school, people? That's what Darwin taught. What was his justification? His justification was, well, if you look at a dark-skinned person, then they must be more closely related to the apes. So they're really just more highly evolved animals. And guess what? They don't even really deserve to live because we're trying to get rid of those races in order to have evolution and natural selection produce superior races. Oh, by the way, which was convenient for Darwin because he happened to be what? Light-skinned. So the light-skinned races are intellectually superior and we're trying to preserve the white-skinned people and get rid of the dark-skinned people. That is evolution. That's the truth. Which then makes it much more sense to think about people like Adolf Hitler, who was a Darwinist, who embraced evolution. You know what Hitler's justification for murdering six million Jews and millions of other gypsies and other lesser people groups, you know what his justification was? He was trying to produce the what? The master race. Get rid of the dark-skinned people, get rid of the Jews, because we're trying to produce the white-skinned people, the master superior races, so he murdered people. Millions of people. What we believe matters. What we believe about the Bible and where we came from and the origin of our nations and race and all those kind of things, it matters because people take their beliefs to the next step of conclusion, which is to act on them. Oh, by the way, somebody else that was a Darwinist, Margaret Sanger. Anybody know who she is? There's statues of her, too. She was the founder of Planned Parenthood. Oh, but let's go back and read about Margaret Sanger because Margaret Sanger would probably roll over in her grave if she knew what we knew now because she was of the opinion that all of the black people especially needed to be eliminated, sterilized, Native Americans and black people, sterilize them or abort them. Why? Why? What was her justification for killing dark-skinned people? Because they were less evolved, they were more like the apes, and they were trying to produce a superior white-skinned race. Now, who's the racist? Who's the racist now? Darwin? Why aren't we tearing Darwin's statue down? Why aren't we ripping Darwin out of the textbooks? He's the racist. Why aren't we ripping Margaret Sanger out of the... Why aren't we tearing her statue down? Do you know that, that African Americans have a disproportionate amount of abortions than any other race group in the country? There's a reason why there are abortion clinics in urban areas to be conveniently provided abortions for the minority groups. Because they're still trying to do what Hitler and Margaret Sanger wanted to do, guys. They want to eliminate the inferior races. But there are no races. There's one race. The human race. Amen. There's one blood. 
But don't you see how we take the bait and we get played every time because we get distracted on all these other peripheral issues and get caught up in all of the emotion when it comes down to what the Bible says, guys. There's truth here that we have got to be reading and proclaiming and teaching and sharing with people because it cuts through all the noise and gets to the heart of the matter. Amen. That's the gospel. Amen. Now, we're just getting started. Now, now this is what, what gets fascinating to me. Now let's talk some theology. Let's talk missions. Let's talk Great Commission. Okay, so, so now that we've established that the Bible provides the true foundation for the origin of the human race and that there's one blood and that we have a reliable testimony of where we came from and the division of the nations came after Babel as they were dispersed and spread out over all of the world. And this is the next fascinating point that I want to share with you. While the Gentiles, now listen, when you're reading your Bible, this is a word that jumps out to you all the time. The Gentiles, right? Who are the Gentiles? Yeah, so anybody who is not of Jewish descent, anybody that can't trace their genetic heritage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the children of Israel, everybody else is what? Is a Gentile, which that would probably include most everybody in this room. But the Gentile nations, listen to me, this is something that happened at Babel that you probably have never learned before. Something else was going on at Babel. We're going to talk about Nimrod next week. We're going to talk about what was happening there at the Tower of Babel. But there was something else supernatural happening at the Tower of Babel because this is what happened, guys. The Gentile nations rebelled against God in pagan idolatry. They devoted themselves to other gods. Now, as you read your Old Testament, guys, this happens over and over and over again. Listen, here's the story of the Old Testament. Yahweh the Lord against the other gods. It's Yahweh against Baal. It's Yahweh against Molech. It's Yahweh against Asherah. It's Yahweh against all of these other gods. It's Yahweh against the gods of Egypt. It's Yahweh, the one true God, the most high God, against all these other gods. And this is what happened at the Tower of Babel. The pagan idolatry, these Gentile nations devoted themselves to other gods, and the Lord chose for himself a people for his own possession, and he created for himself a nation. Amen. The nation of what? Israel. See, Babel is the origin of Israel eventually became Israel and the nations. Now, why is this important? You know, when archaeologists look at the earliest cradles of civilization, you have Mesopotamia and Egypt, the Indus River, River Valley in India, uh, Central America, actually, and ancient China. And they all agree that all of these ancient civilizations, the cradles of civilization, in other words, the origin, the beginning point of all of the civilizations of the world, they all sprang up about the same time. They all sprang up about 43 to 4,000 years ago. Hmm. Guess what happened right, right around 4,300 years ago? Tower of Babel. The flood and the Tower of Babel was not far after that. And after the Tower of Babel, all of these ancient civilizations, they sprang up kind of like out of nowhere. So, so that's one of the things that baffles the naturalists, the archaeologists, because they're like, we don't understand where these civilizations came from. It's just like they just popped up out of thin air. Well, we know where they came from because they took everything that they were trying to do at Babel, and when they were spread out over the whole earth, they took all of that pagan idolatry with them. 
And so you see that when they sprang up, they had written records, they had religious worship systems, they had organized governments, urban building projects, but the one thing that they really had in common was pagan worship. Pagan worship. Well, what is pagan worship? Pagan worship is attributing to any other god or nature or anything else that which only God rightly deserves. So they, they're taking... They're the worshiping the sun, moon, and stars. They're worshiping the earth and the, and the elements of the earth. And they're doing all of this in pagan idolatry. And they're attributing these things to other gods. They built temples. They built pyramids. They offered human sacrifices on these temples. They committed all forms of immorality. These were not good people. They were, they were bound in this. And so you look at all these ancient civilizations. They all have it in common. Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, Persia, India, Arabia, Canaan. In, in the Americas, the Native Americans, they were pagan. Scandinavia, Greece, and Rome. All of these people groups, as they spread out after Babel, they took their pagan religious idolatry with them. And it gives an explanation as to how they got there and why they were doing what they were doing. So what happened at Babel? Here's what happened at Babel. Mankind was commanded to go and spread out over the what? The whole earth. Go be fruitful and multiply. But they said, no, we're going to do our thing. We don't want to go be fruitful and multiply. We want to build a name for ourselves. And we want to build a tower to bring the gods down. Guys, and I'll, I'll talk about this next week. They weren't trying to build a skyscraper into the outer space. They built a temple. It was a pyramid, a ziggurat, something like that. They wanted to in, invoke and, and summon and invite the gods to come to them so that they could worship these other gods. And so the Lord, you know what? The Lord, he already flooded the earth. He's like, listen, I'm fed up. I've had enough. He said, listen, if this is what you want, you want to have a relationship with these other gods, then you will get what you want. You'll get what you deserve. And he turned them over. He handed them over to other gods. It's fascinating. You say, well, where, where does the Bible say? Well, let me, let me share that with you. Deuteronomy 32. Listen to what Moses says in his song. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance and divided mankind. Well, when was that? Babel. So let me say it again. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance and he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. Do you see what's happening here? Basically, the Lord said this, all right, you don't want me? Fine. I'll give you what you want, what you deserve, and I'm going to turn you over to all these other... When I say gods, y'all know what I'm saying, right? These are lesser spiritual beings. They're not creators. They're, 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 they don't have the same, they're not equal to God in any way, but they're, they're basically fallen angels. You call them demons, gods, whatever. The Bible calls them demons, fallen angels. You can give them whatever name you want to, but these are rebellious spiritual sons of God who were, were given the nations of the earth to basically hold them into darkness and oppression, which is what they've done since Babel up until today. Amen. Now, listen. In Psalm 82, which I'm going to turn to and read to you, we also get what I believe is God's judgment on these gods. Listen to what it says in Psalm 82. You know what? When you're reading the Bible, 
and you start reading some of these passages, this stuff never used to make sense to me. But now I read a passage like this and I say, oh, wait a minute, now I get it. I know what's going on here because this is what the Lord did at Babel when the people rejected him. He turned them over to these other uh, false gods, these heathen gods, and now they're under the control of them. Listen to what it says in Psalm 82. Listen to this. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Now he's judging somebody. He's judging the gods. Listen to what he says. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. In other words, God is he's looking at these other gods. He's saying, why don't you take care of your people? Why don't you give the help to the weak and the needy and the destitute? In other words, you're giving uh, help to the wicked and, the, and you're, you're taking advantage of the oppressed. You're not living and ruling according to my justice. And so this is what he says. He says, they neither have knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. Listen to me. If there's ever a statement in the Bible that talks about the other nations of the world, listen to me. They are walking about in what? Darkness. And that's why Israel was supposed to be a light. A light to the Gentiles because the nations are walking around under the oppression of these other gods. They're walking around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And listen to what he said. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. In other words, guys, listen to me. There's a day coming and there's a day of judgment, not just for the wicked on this earth, but for all of the principalities and powers of darkness that have been ruling and controlling the nations of the world since the Tower of Babel until the day that Jesus comes. Yes, they've been doing what they wanted to do and what they thought they could do up until that point, but they are going to be judged as well. And then look at what it says. Don't miss this. Verse 8. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. The nations belong to God. Amen. But at the same time he gave the other nations over to these other gods, he took and, and, and preserved a nation for himself. Isn't it interesting that right after the Tower of Babel, what's the very next chapter? Genesis chapter 12, which is the introduction of God's relationship to who? Abram. Abram, I'm going to make a what? Nation out of you. I'm going to make a great people out of you. And all the people that bless you are going to be blessed. And all the people that curse you will be cursed. And I will bless all the nations of the earth through you. Which eventually became Jesus. The seed of Abraham became Jesus. So at the same time God turned over the other nations, he took for himself a nation for his own possession, which became Israel. And guys, Israel has been that vessel through which God has worked and have, will continue to work because he's not done with them yet. But listen to what it says in Romans 9. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness to me in the Holy Spirit. This is Paul writing. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I could have myself be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's talking about Israel. They are Israelites. And to them, listen to all the things, the privileges that the Israelites got. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, 
the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God forever, who is blessed forever. Amen. So there you see that Israel has served a unique purpose in relationship to God. Now let me move on. Not only that, but the entire story of redemptive history, listen, this is what's happening in the Bible, is the story of the Most High God. We know Him. He's the Lord. Through Christ, as He's reclaiming every nation for Himself, He's reclaiming a people from His own possession. Now let me break it down to you real simply. Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were collectively a son. They were basically God's son, collectively, put on the to be a representative to the nations. Guess what, though? They failed. They failed miserably. They couldn't do what God called them to do, so he had to send his only what? His only son to be the perfect representative to the world and the savior of the world, and that through Jesus, he is now reclaiming all of the nations of the earth to himself. And listen to me, guys. This is what's so amazing, is that he has invited us to participate in this. You read Genesis chapter 10 and you say, what, is all, what do all these names and all these nations have to do with me? Everything. Amen. Because the descendants of those 70 original nations are still what? Still alive on the face of the earth today. And every person that you run into on the face of this planet comes from one of those 70 original nations. And God says, you be my disciples. You go and baptize people from every nation. The Great Commission is connected to the Tower of Babel and the Table of Nations because when Jesus sends us out, he says, you go, therefore, to all nations, make disciples of every single nation. You participate with me. You join me in this process because what Jesus is doing, guys, he's in the process of bringing all the nations, what? Back to himself. To bring a people for his own possession. Amen. This is what's so amazing about the good news of the gospel. Right now we're in the age of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles. What does that mean? It means the Bible talks about the fullness of the Gentiles. The, the last days, the last years of tribulation will not really begin until the fullness of the Gentiles is complete. And when, in other words, there's going to come a point in place in time when God is basically said, okay, I've given the nations every what? Opportunity. I've, I've, I've extended mercy for 2,000 years now. God has extended mercy to the Gentiles. Repent and believe. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of the world. But there's going to come a point when the fullness of the Gentiles is complete, and then the great tribulation will begin, and he's going to really turn his focus back to his people, Israel. That's going to be part of what's happening during the great tribulation. But the last thing I'm going to share with you is this. The primary mission of Jesus Christ is that by shedding his own precious... You know, when Jesus was nailed to that cross, he bled. He bled and he died. Guess what color was his blood? Just like you and me. Because he became a member of the human race. He became a descendant of Adam. Just like you and me. That's why only Jesus can save. Amen. 
That's why only Jesus is the one who's capable, able, atoning sacrifice for sin. That's why his blood is the precious atoning sacrifice for sin because he is perfect and righteous in all of his ways. He did the thing that Adam couldn't do. He did the thing that the people of Israel couldn't do. He did the one thing that we couldn't do. He lived the perfect life in all of righteousness. He died the sacrificial death in our place so that we could be forgiven. He shed his precious blood so that he could pay the purchase price to redeem for himself a people for his possession, a holy nation, and a kingdom of priests. This is what gets me so excited about what the Bible says. Let's look at Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to wrap up right here, guys. This is powerful. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. It's a picture of the heavenly throne room. John is looking at this scroll, and, and there's nobody that can open the scroll, and John is weeping. He's shedding tears. He's weeping, saying, why is there no one in heaven or on earth that can open the scroll? In other, in other words, there's no one that can bring human history to its end. And an angel touches John and says, don't, don't weep anymore. For behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah is able to what? He's able to open the scroll. Amen. And look at what it says in verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying... Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people. What kind of people? All people. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Guys, what a powerful picture of what heaven will be like. Now listen, there's a bunch of these memes that go around the internet, and some are good and some are bad or whatever it may be. But there's one that I just got to repeat because I think it's truth, and I'm going to read it to you right here. It says, over 2,000 years ago, God ended the debate about which lives matter. Amen. Because every life matters to God. And I'm going to tell you something. Some people that may rile you, that may get under your skin. I don't care. That is the truth. We've got to focus on the fact that Jesus came and paid a ransom and a purchase price for every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. That's the price that Jesus paid for all people. That's the truth of the gospel. Now, let me show you something, though. In the kingdom, we still re will retain our ethnic what? Identities. We don't just bleed into nothingness. We still will recognize one another with our different ethnic identities and those kind of things. But here's the difference. We are a kingdom. We are priests to God. Because here's the thing. In the kingdom of heaven, our identity will not be elevated in our ethnic group or our ethnic skin tone or anything like that. Our identities will be elevated in who? In Christ Jesus. That's what will unite all of us. We will be kingdom citizens of heaven. That's what makes the kingdom. We don't lose our identity, our ethnic identity. We just don't simply elevate them above our identity in who? Jesus Christ. That's what makes the kingdom of God so powerful. There's one race, the race of Adam. There's one blood, and there's only one way to be saved, and there's only one hope for every nation that is on the earth, that is the hope of nations, and his name is Jesus. That is the good news of the gospel.
And that through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we are truly united as God's people. We are brought into, adopted into the family of God. And this is what's so special, is that in Christ, every single one of us get to become brothers and sisters Amen. with one heavenly Father. That unites. That's family. That's unity. But that's the gospel. And we've got to get back focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and quit letting these other people distract and divide us. And let's shut them up. Let's put them out. Let's quit them. Let's get refocused on the word of God. And let's hit our knees in prayer. Let's see how we can be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and witnesses for him in this world. Is that God is calling you and has called me to participate in the Great Commission, which is that he's asking you to help reclaim people from every single Nation, these 10 table of nations, these 70 original nations, God's saying, I want you to help me. I want you to join me. I don't know about you, but there's no greater purpose. Amen. There's no greater purpose. I'm going to ask our praise team to come on up. I'm going to ask a question. Have you been cleansed and covered in the blood of Jesus? If you're here today, listen to me. There's a difference in your life when you come to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ because it's like, it's like the Lord sets you free from guilt. He sets you free from condemnation because you know that His death on the cross was enough and you're covered. You've been cleansed. In the eyes of God, you are now a child of God. You're no longer guilty in the eyes of God. Guys, there's no better feeling on the earth. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're not still going to struggle in this world because, of course, we still struggle. But there is a freedom that we have in Jesus Christ because we have been forgiven of our sin and set free to serve him. And let me ask you that question today. Do you have that freedom? Do you have that peace that you've been covered and cleansed by the blood of Christ? Amen. Now, if you don't, Come talk to me. Let, let's get that right today. If you do, then it's time that we get out and start serving. It's time that we get out and start representing. Amen. It's time that we get off of our tails and get off of our couches and we start really going out and being his witnesses to really participate in the Great Commission, guys, because there's no excuse anymore. There never has been, but seriously, today, right now, think about where we are as a nation. Guys, there's no excuse. What's more important right now than eternal souls? What's more important right now than sharing the gospel? What's more important right now than getting on our knees and praying? What's more important than serving other people in the name of Jesus? Our life is here today. It's gone tomorrow. What are we living for? What's our purpose? There's nothing more important. We're about to sing a song. I'll be up here for prayer. I'm going to let our praise band lead us. And I love this song because it says this. I'm coming back now to a heart of worship because it's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. Guys, we make it about, we make it about us. Never has been. Amen. It's about him. Amen. So as we sing, you pray. You do business with God. You come talk to me. This altar's always open to pray. You grab somebody, whatever you got to do. But let's go to the Lord, and you do business with him today before leaving this place, okay? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for being so good and gracious, for shedding, Jesus, for shedding your blood on my behalf, Lord. 
so that you could bring me into your family and adopt me as your son, that you would be my heavenly father. But Lord, that's, not, that's just where our relationship begins. Lord, you've given us so much hope and purpose and you've given us a mission. And Lord, that mission is to be so intentional about what you've given us to do, the great commission to go and make disciples of every nation. Because you are reclaiming, you are redeeming a people for your possession from every single nation on the planet. And it's a beautiful picture of your love. The universal love of Christ is like no other. So help us to stand united in the truth and to put our hand to that plow and never look back. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Would you stand together as we, as we sing?